It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. I think most quilters are going to agree with Connie George when she says, I quilt, I don't do alterations. I know I do. Connie and I were having such a great conversation when I realized my time was up. So we decided to talk about her business on another episode of A Quilter's Life. So make sure to watch for that. Connie, it's so great to have you on A Quilter's Life. Thank you for having me. I deem this an honor. I've enjoyed quilting and I'm just so excited to get some more news out there to other quilters and people who may not have quilted before. It's a fun process. It definitely is. Let's start with where were you born and raised? I was born in Wichita, Kansas. I was raised just about everywhere. My folks divorced early, spent some time in Florida, and moved to the West Coast in California. Moved back to Kansas in 1970 with a whole lot of culture shock. Met my husband after I'd been here not very long. And we got married 50 years ago, come August. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a chore of people that understand that marriages work, but it can also be so much fun. And you absolutely have to love and trust the man you're with. It's just so important. I have four beautiful kids, all very successful. I have nine grandchildren who I love to the end of the moon and back. One of them I'm lucky enough to get to keep during the daytime. He's in preschool. Right now he has grandma tied around his little finger so tight it's it's gotten off circulation but I love my family we sat down 19 when we sat down for a holiday dinner and they're all really close mile wise so it's nice to get everybody together and they have to make room for my long arm culture and my quilting table and my little grandson has a little playstation up here on one of my cutting tables that while I'm sewing he can play so he doesn't feel left out he's helping me by handing me scraps or pieces and he'll tell me he said mama your cutter's open he says you need to shut that before I get cut <laughs> so <laughs> he, he lets me know mama there's pins in this I could get stuck and he tells me when he gets stuck with a pin blood comes out oh boy. and he says I don't make it come out it just does and it's like okay I'll make sure I put the pins up for you he says that's good because I don't like leaky blood so <laughs> <laughs> he's five he's at that age so he's wonderful to have Oh, how fun. It's great to have family, and that is so neat that you get to spend that time with him. Yes, it's wonderful. He's learning how I sew, and he's still a little intimidated by the long arm because when it moves by itself, it kind of spooks him a little bit. But, you know, I told him, I said, it will run over your finger, and leaky blood will come out. And he goes, okay, I not touch it, Mama. He's learned to avoid that with passion, so he's very cautious. He knows what he can touch and what he can't, but it's a learning process, too. So, Wow. Let's jump back. Do you have a special childhood memory? I do. My paternal grandmother started me quilting. We'd come back and visit for the summer, and she made her own clothes always. And she'd save the scraps and make quilts out of. And when she passed away, I was lucky enough to get, oh, probably 10 of her quilts that she'd made. And the double wedding ring quilt, I can actually pull it out and go, 
I remember her making this dress, and that one was a dress that she made into an apron. They didn't waste a scrap of anything. She was raising kids during the Depression, and you didn't waste thread. You didn't waste anything. You saved it all. And I remember she had the end of a spool of thread. She'd wrap it around two fingers and tie a loop around it so she could save that piece of thread because you never know when you might run out. And there wasn't always a lot of colored thread at that time. A lot of it was white and black, you know, maybe some navy thrown in. But I remember the first time she got a spool of yellow thread to match one of her dresses, she was just in hog heaven. She didn't have to see white seams on the outside of her collars that could match the dress that she was making. So she always had a basket of scraps that I got to dig through and go over. And when she'd make a quilt, if I was there, she'd let me hand her pieces and she'd say, now that one doesn't quite match this one. Let's see if we can find one that's green that goes with this. So she'd help me learn my colors and learn how to place them together and the difference in the contrast and the colors and the hues. And it was just so fascinating because she knew all of it and I didn't. And I was just a little vessel eager to be filled. I'd sit there for hours on end. And she'd have to get up and move. And I said, are you coming back? I want to learn to sew some more. Well, as I got older, she showed me the sewing machines. Of course, as you get older, you don't spend as much time with your grandparents as you wished you would have. That's one thing that I wish I had now is my grandmother close enough that I could actually show her what I'm doing. And I know she's watching from heaven every once in a while. I'll pick something up and say, see, I learned this from you. So it's nice that generations can share. One good thing about it is when my grandmother passed away, I saved back one quilt for each one of my four kids. And these are hand quilted. They may be machine piece, but they're hand quilted. And my youngest daughter got married. I gave her one of my grandmother's quilts. My husband's mother had made her a quilt and I had made her a quilt. So during the reception, we had a presentation of three generations of quilts. Stop the reception. Everybody was coming up. There's a little old man come up and says, now, when my mama and wife did it, they had mom pulleys from the ceiling and they'd lower the quilt frame and they'd have to beat off the spiders and they could go to sewing. And then when it got time to break for meals, they pulled it back up and put the table out. We'd have meals, especially during harvest, because that's when all the women could get together. They'd cook for a while and then they'd sew for a while. So these men and women were coming up and going, I remember when or my grandmother made one just like this. And it's just so fascinating to see the generations of quilts presented to my daughter. It was so fun to watch. It was a total surprise for her. She had no idea it was coming. And to see my grandmother's quilt up there, it made her cry. And that was my intention all along was to make her ball on her <laughs> wedding day. <laughs> you know, moms. So her oldest daughter called me one day and said, Mamma, she says, I got your grandmother's quilt on my bed. I said, you do? And she says, yeah. She says, I can't put my feet on it. I cannot eat on my bed. And I have to make sure that my little sister Maddie doesn't pee on it. Because Maddie wasn't potty trained at the time. And I said, yeah. So she's sleeping under her great, great grandmother's quilt. And she respects it so well. She folds it up. She won't sleep under it. She folds it up off the edge of the bed and sleeps under the other one. But I told her, I said, these are meant to be used. I used to think for a long time, oh, don't get that quilt out. That's a good quilt. My grandmother made that. My grandmother would be horrified to think 
that her loving work was stuck in a chest somewhere doing nothing. So after learning about the quilt keeper from the other podcast, I really want to get these quilts out and hang them to where people can see them. And especially me, because I don't see them in the chest, but I see all the memories hanging there. And that's what I want to see. I want to touch that quilt and say, there's grandma's dress and there's her apron. And there's my grandpa's shirt. I remember that. So to me, it's more memories associated with it Mm -hmm. than physical value. So I want to get them out where I can see them. I want people to see them and use them. And my youngest daughter moved into a new house here a while back. And I said, oh, good. I get to make a quilt. She says, mother, if you make me one more quilt, I'm divorcing you. I went, what's the matter? She goes, we have 17 quilts. There's only five people in our family. There's 17 quilts. And I went, yeah. She goes, I don't have any room to put them. I said, you built a big house. She goes, mom. No. And when she says it in that tone, you don't argue with her. She sounds worse than my mother ever did. (laughs) No, you're not making another quilt. And I said, well, you can't stop me from giving a gift. And she goes, oh, yes, I can. So we had the uh uh-huh, uh-uh fight. And she won because she's my daughter and I let her win. But she doesn't know about the two quilts I've already got started. So got to finish those. So anyway, she's getting some whether she likes it or not. And I'll give her some plastic bags or something to put them in, but I'll beat her with a stick if she puts them in it. So (laughs) anyway, that's my childhood memory. It's a nice one. I think about it and just smile at my grandma and just go on from there. Well, your daughter will want all those quilts to be able to hand them down to say, my mother made this, or your grandchildren will be able to say, my grandmother made this. Yes, they're very appreciative of the quilts that they get. And my youngest grandson that I keep I was quilting for another lady that does a lot of charity work, and she gives quilts to the boys' homes and the unwed mothers, anybody who's had a fire. And I was finishing one up for her that had dinosaurs on it, and he cabbaged onto it. He says, Mama, that's mine. I said, no, it's Miss Jeannie's. And he says, Miss Jeannie, give it to me. I said, you ask Miss Jeannie nicely. So when she came down to pick up the quilt, he drug it over by the corner. He says, Miss Jeannie, he says, I really like this one to go on my bed. Can I have it, please? And I said, we don't ask for things, do we? And he says, no, but if I don't ask, I won't get it. (laughs) And it's like, oh, okay. And Jeannie squatted down. She's an older lady. She's in her 80s. She squatted down and told him, says, well, yes, you may have it for your bed if you promise to take care of it. And he says, oh, I will. He gave me this look. And he says, grandma's already told me how to take care of a quilt. He says, I don't put my feet on it and I don't let my sister pee on it. (laughs) And <laughs> Maddie just well past that stage, but it's just always stuck that she wasn't potty trained when the quilts came out. So it's kind of stuck with her and bless her heart. She has to live it down. But, you know, it's funny to listen to him tell this other lady, he says, yeah, I not put my feet on it and I not let Maddie Joe pee on it. So he says, I take good care of it. And it's still on his bed. He's had it now, oh, two years. And that's still his favorite quilt. Wow. He just loves it. <laughs> I always try to figure out how to segue into the next question, but that was such a cute story. It's hard to segue into your employment. (laughs) Well, I can tell you, I am an accountant. I went back to school. My husband and I had been married for a while. He worked for the railroad and had a back injury. And at that time, I was a stay-at-home mom. My baby sat for other ladies. And we knew at that point in time that 
his working career was not going to be long. So I went back to college with four kids going to college and I worked a full-time job outside the home to support my college habit. I got my BA in accounting and I've worked as an accountant ever since. And then when my youngest daughter's babysitter quit on her two weeks before she was due, she called me up in an absolute panic. She goes, mom, what am I going to do? And I said, well, honey, um, I put my hand in the air. It was kind of waving. She couldn't see it, of course. I said, I'm the grandma. And she goes, can you quit work early? And I said, well, yeah, but I'm, um, 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 you know, I said, I'm not 62 yet. She says, we'll work it out. She says, give you notice today. Oh, okay. So I gave him three months notice and I took care of my youngest grandson. She was thrilled to death. She says, there's not a lot of babysitters. We're in a small rural Kansas area and there's not a lot of sitters. And she was just horrified at the thought of trying to go through the process again of trying to find a sitter and doing all this neat fun stuff so when she brought him the first time he was just wrapped up as snug as a bug in a rug it was windy and cold and raining and I said oh look at that cute little bug and it has stuck that has been his nickname ever since is bug and he knows at home it's Ryder and at Mamaw's it's bug and the neighbor kid calls him bug the little girl down the street calls him bug and it's just like Mother, you've got to start calling him writer. I said, no, because I'm making him a quilt that's nothing but bugs. And then I'll put bug in big letters on it so he won't ever forget my mom called him bug. So we've worn it into a few quilts a couple of times. So he's Mamaw's quilt helper. He'll look at fabric and he'll go, I think the blue looks better, Mamaw. So he'll go over and get me a piece of blue and he'll look at it. And he goes, nah. And then he'll go back to playing with his cars. So, you know, he helps odds and end times. but. I retired from accounting, and one of the things I did before I left my last job, I've always wanted a long arm, and I was between jobs, and I couldn't afford it. No way. We'd gone out to Wichita to the quilt show, and I'd stopped by the store and saw one and played with it and drool coming out of the corners of my mouth, and Glenn says, go ahead and get it. I said, no, not till I find a job. Well, that was on Tuesday. Wednesday, I got a phone call that says, can you start Monday? And Thursday, I was back out in Wichita buying me a long arm. And I started that particular passion for Quilts of Valor. I had two stepbrothers that went to Vietnam, and both of them made it home. We were very grateful for that. One hadn't been home about a year, and he committed suicide. And it broke the family's heart. We just had no idea he was in such pain. And I started off doing Quilts of Valor. When they became incorporated, I didn't want all my quilts to go off nationally. I wanted them to stay local. So I got a hold of the Army Reserve Center, which was right next to the church I worked at. I knew they were sending a unit out, and I was thinking, you know, I'll go over and see how many they've got and what I can do for them. So I went over and talked to the lady over there and explained what I was wanting to do. And she says, well, we've got a small unit going out this time. And I said, oh, really? I said, can you tell me how many? She goes, oh, yeah. She says, let me look. So she scrolled through a couple of pages. She says, 131. Uh, okay, uh, this is May. When are they leaving? Oh, the end of August. Oh, crap. Well, I can't get quilts done. And she just looked up with this little gleam in her eye. She says, can you do pillowcases? And I said, well, yeah, I can do pillowcases. That's a whole lot easier. She said, the Army doesn't give them pillowcases. I said, you're kidding. She says, no, ma'am, no, no pillowcases. And she says, a lot of them bring them from home, and that's what they used to pack their things with. 
And I thought, well, what an idea. So I went back to the quilt guild and I said, hey, this is what's going on. I want to make all these pillowcases, but I need help. So I went to Joanne's and I'm standing there, I'm not lying, with three carts of fabric, red, white, and blue. And one lady come up, she says, are you going to use all that? And I said, no. And she said, what are you doing with it? And I explained. And she said, seriously making pillowcases. I said, I have to have 135 done in two and a half months. And she says, if I send some, will you use them? I said, absolutely. Of course, everybody started hearing what was going on. One lady come up and gave me $100. And she says, I can help you buy fabric. She says, I couldn't sew a straight line if I had to. She says, but I can contribute. Ladies took my name and number. I got pillowcases from all over the country. It was wonderful. One lady just sent me one with a $10 check. And she goes, I'm so old, I can't see very well to sew, and I apologize that the seams aren't straight, she says, but I so want to be a part of this. And the lady whose place I took at the church was part of the quilt guild, and we kind of buddied up, and it's like, okay, we're going to get this going. So we'd take turns getting everything lined up and ready to go. Finally got enough of them done and told the lady at the Army unit that we were ready to give them out. She says, well, we're having a going away party type of thing. She says, would y'all be able to come over then? So we took them out, laid them all over the picnic tables, and everybody's just craning their necks. Soldiers aren't used to seeing civilian women, much less civilian women packing pillowcases in their unit. Packing guns, yes, pillowcases, no. So we got them all laid out, and we stand there talking to the commander, and I'm an idiot. I always open my mouth before I engage my brain. We were talking, and he explained what they were doing to the soldiers, and they got to come through and pick out their favorite pillowcases. Now, not all of them were red, white, and blue. There was some with fishing, some with hunting, some with sunflowers, some with deer on them, dogs, you name it. We just made a variety. We tried, first of all, never to use anything that glittered because you never know when it's going to get up against their skin and they go out on patrol and there's little Mr. Glitter face shining through. So glitter was one thing we did not use. We weren't told specifically not to use it. But to me, common sense says you don't want to give a soldier something that glitters. So they were so appreciative of it. And they actually got to fighting over one pillowcase. And I said, guys, there's another one just like it down the road there. So they settled their differences with a pillowcase fight, of course. <laughs> I thought they were going to smack each other really hard, but they were beating each other pretty good there for a little bit. But we got everything passed out. I'm thinking they're going to be gone for two years. And I told the commander, I says, well, we're going to try to have quilts for them when they come home. My friend reached over and slapped my shoulder. I've still got a bruise on my shoulder where she smacked me. She says, are you stupid? And I said, no, why? She pointed to the commander. He says, they'll be back in 13 months. <gasps> and I already put my foot in it. It's like, uh, 135 quilts in 13 months. We can do it. And I again went to Joanne's and stocked up on fabric. And one lady sent me 10 quilt tops and other ladies at the Quilt Guild made tops, and I put it out in every Quilt Guild around, explained what we were doing. This is what they're for. I'd run the long arm. Diane would do the binding, and we had 138 ready when they got off the bus. I was so thrilled, and I mean, there was nights I stayed up, and this wasn't computerized. This was all freehand, stars and bars and stars and moons and bars and stars. Oh, I, was, I could do it in my sleep. I still can but we had enough quilts for those kids to have one. And one little young boy come up and 
he couldn't have been 19 if he was a day old. I've got socks older than he is. And he come up, he says, Mammy says, I don't have my pillowcase anymore. I said, oh, that's fine. I can make you another one. He goes, well, I gave it to one of the newbies coming in. I said, oh. And he said, yeah, I says, he doesn't have any family. And he either did this or went to jail. So he joined the army and I wanted him to have something from somebody who cared. And I just about broke down in tears. I said, do you have his name, his number? I can send a care package or something. And he says, we weren't together long enough to get his name. He says, but I'm sure if you write the chaplain, they can put you in touch with someone who needs help. And I always meant to do it, never did. I got busy, you know, with life. But there's 138 quilts out there with loving labels on them made by people who care in Kansas. And we didn't put our names on them. We didn't want the glory. It's just that's what we could do to help the soldiers out. And I still do patriotic quilts. Baxter Springs had a memorial unveiling, and they had two soldiers from the Second World War who were there. One was a gentleman. One was a lady who was so frail. And I had advance notice, so I brought two quilts. And I gave one to the gentleman. Well, they had placed the older lady in a car, and I went over to talk to her, and her daughter stood guard. There's a 70-year-old woman in front of me that says, you can't talk to my mama. And I said, well, this is what I want to do. I showed her the quilt, and I'd like to give it to her because it was just a throw. She says, well, she can use that over her legs. She says, thank you very much. And I got a very nice thank you from the lady's daughter. And the gentleman that I gave the quilt to sent me a check for $10 and said, please keep this going on. Says, I really enjoy my quilt. You just don't know the lives you touch. When Independence had their opening, I had 50 quilts done. And I took them over there to the Veterans Day Parade. And the pawn shop let me use their counter space to lay out all the quilts. And I'd go out and tell some of the soldiers, I said, before you leave today, come and pick you out a quilt. And he says, can I put it in my truck so nobody else gets it? I said, absolutely. Just pick it up, take it with you, whatever you want to do. I had one quilt left over and I gave it to the pawn shop owner. And he says, but I'm not a veteran. I said, no, but you service those who do serve. And he says, can I give it to somebody? And I said, absolutely. He says, my dad served. I said, then absolutely. You make sure he gets that quilt. And it was just so amazing to see these soldiers' faces light up when they think somebody actually cares about what happens to them, that they do something this special for them. My uh, best friend turned 60, and I made her a quilt. Well, I made her husband a quilt in red, white, and blue because he served in Vietnam also. And I gave Debbie her quilt and then pulled out the quilt for her husband. And he was kind of, what, what's this? And I said, it's for your service. And he broke down and cried. He says, do you know when I come back? He says, I got spit on. No one ever has said thank you for anything I've done. All we got was reviled and spit and slapped. And he says, this is so great. He says, thank you so much. And I got the best crying hug I've ever had. He was just so amazed that someone would think about service and want to do something about it. He was very grateful. They all are. They're overwhelming in their response of gratitude. It just makes your heart feel good. Mm -hmm. During that time, that was before you retired. So you were working full time during that, right? Yes. Working yeah. full time, taking care of kids and grandkids and finding time to sit down and sew. 
I have restless legs, so I don't sleep a lot at night. So I'll come downstairs into the garage. We've redone it into a family room in my sewing studio. And my husband's upstairs asleep. And I'm down here working my little heart off. I got one on the table right now that I was working on at 4 o'clock this morning. And I thought, well, hmm, I need to quit and go to bed. So I go to bed and my legs would kick up. And it's like, well, time to go back downstairs. So I spend a lot of time downstairs at night because my legs won't let me sleep. So wow. it's a good thing in a way because I get a lot done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you may have touched on this already. You live in Kansas now. You were born in Kansas and you uh-huh. moved around a lot. Is there any more of how you came back? Well, we moved back here in 1970 from California, which was California has always been 24-7. And we moved to a little town in Kansas where the blue laws on Sunday, you could not buy anything. The stores were all closed. The gas stations closed at 6 during the week at noon on Saturday or maybe 3. I took home ec in high school, but that was garment sewing. It wasn't as much fun to me as sewing for quilts. But I can imagine my grandmother right now being absolutely livid at the thought of buying yard goods just to cut them up, rearrange them, and sew them into a quilt. To her, that wasn't the way it was done. You made garments, you saved your scraps, and then you made a quilt. You didn't buy fabric, cut it up, and then make a quilt. You had something in between. I said something to one of the ladies at Joanne's about it. She says, you know, my mom says the same thing. She says she just can't imagine coming up and spending $5 a yard on fabric and cutting it up just to make quilts and have scraps left over to boot, you know. And I said, yeah. I said, it's a new world, isn't it? And she said, yeah, it sure is. Of course, sewing machines have progressed, but I also have featherweights. And I used that at my last retreat. It was a 48 model, I believe. So I've got, oh gosh, a lot of featherweights. I've got a 1904 Singer and a 1910 Singer that have the shuttles instead of the bobbins, which is really fascinating. But if you get to looking at sewing machines that they've come down through history, it's fascinating just to see the progression of attachments and ease of use and everything else. You know, they used to have to pedal them to get them to work. Even that was a huge advantage over hand quilting. But I like my sewing machines. I really do. I've got four hand-pieced quilts for my kids that I hoped to hand quilt, but that's not going to happen because I just don't have the patience anymore. But it's fun to watch the progression from where I was in 1970 when I moved back here. I made a quilt for my mother. I cut it by hand. I was not very rich at the time, so I had not the best selection of fabric to choose from. It's ugly. It was a drunkard's path. My curves weren't always straight. My points didn't always meet. And I gave it to my mother with the best pride I had. And she looked at it and bless her heart, she smiled and she says, that is the prettiest quilt I've ever seen. When she passed away, I got it back and it's in my hope chest in there now. It's one of the ones I want to hope to hang up. I look at it now and go, oh my stars, I should have ripped that out. My grandmother, if it's not right, you ripped it out. You did it again until it was right. And I see that and I think, oh, I need to tear that puppy apart. <laughs> it do it all. But I won't because where I was, you know, in 1970 compared to now, it's just 50 years of improvement. Well, I hope improvement. But I destroy the love I had made in that quilt to give to my mother. You know, I could redo it. It wouldn't take that long. 
but she wouldn't be here to give it to, and I don't want to destroy what she had. So the changes from 70 to now is just amazing because, you know, my grandkids will come in, oh, Grandma's sewing again. And I said, yes, I am. I said, what do you want? She says, well, I want a quilt. And I said, your mother has done informed me that I am not to make you another quilt. She says, what mama doesn't know won't hurt me. (laughs) I'm sitting here going, you can't say that with grandma because grandma's the one that gets in trouble for you saying that. And she just kind of laughs. She goes, yeah, I know. (laughs) So, you know, you've got to have quilts for grandkids. And I've taught them all how to make doll blankets and tie quilts. You know, they can make their own flannel doll quilts and stuff like that. So one of them's wanting to learn to make Barbie clothes. And I just looked at her and I said, I don't sew clothes. I don't do alteration. And that's the biggest problem I've had to fight. Oh, you quilt. Can you patch my britches? Can you hem my pants? I need a skirt hem. One lady brought me a wedding dress the other day, just showed up out of the blue. And I looked at her and I said, yes. And she goes, I need this altered. And I says, well, I can recommend several people at the stores. I don't do wedding gowns. Oh, but I got to have it in the next two weeks. I said, lady, you're screwed. I'm sorry. There's not a seamstress around that's going to touch that. Much less take six inches off of a train and a gown to boot. Uh, No. I'm desperate. And I said, so am I. No. So bless her heart, she was in tears when she left. And it's like, I'm sorry. That's not what I do. That's like asking a baker, you know, to mend a pair of shoes. You don't do it. It's just not going to turn out right. So I broke her heart and I turned her away. But I went, oh, thank God she left. (laughs) You know, it's not that. But one thing I've kind of segued into, which I kind of wish I hadn't done, are T-shirt and memory quilts over half of my business now is t-shirt quilts and people just go nuts over them. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my stars, you guys have no clue of the idea of work that goes into one. And when I had to raise my prices because everything else went up, one lady says, well, I figured I could get the whole thing done for about a hundred dollars. And I about choked on my tongue and said, "Um, that won't even buy the interfacing for one. And she's like, but I've only got 45 t-shirts. Uh huh. So I told her politely, I said, This is what it's going to cost. And she says, Well, when I mortgage my house, I'll be back. And she left. I haven't heard from her since. Thank you, God. But the tiniest one I did was for a little baby who was three months old and died of crib death. And they brought me these clothes and said, Please make us something. And I said, You don't understand. I'm going to have to cut these apart to be able to use them because I can't use snaps and zippers. And they said, we don't care what you do. We just want something to remind us of him. And one aunt had embroidered by hand his name on a sleeper. And I cut it all apart. There was frog feet and little bunny tails on the backside flap and, you know, all kinds of cute little things. I just did a variety of things all over a piece of fabric and put those on there and quilted it for him with little bunnies and elephants, you know, the little animals. Mom came with grandma to pick it up. Grandma dropped it off because mom couldn't bear to let go of the clothing. When mama picked it up and saw those little bunny feet and the little frog feet and things like that on there, she broke down and she goes, that's my little Cade right there. She says, that's him. They were going to make it into a wall hanging, but I think mom's still sleeping with it Mm -hmm. because it was such a special memory for her. And those are the ones that break your heart, but those are also the ones you put the most care into because that's their heart laying in front of you. 
and I had a grandma bring me grandpa's flannel jackets. The same thing. Grandpa passed away. This is for his favorite granddaughter. Well, in one of the jackets, I found a pair of mittens that he had used. And I saved all the pockets off the shirts and put it into a quilt. And in the pockets, I put one mitten in each one just where she would lay her hands at. And I said, now, don't tell her they're there. Let her find them. And Grandma bawled. She says, oh, I remember he wore those mittens every time he went out to milk. So when granddaughter got the quilt and she found those mittens, she broke down and cried. And Grandma was crying. She says, that's the best quilt ever. She said, just that little surprise in there just made the whole tone. And they smelled like Grandpa because I never washed anything. Mm -hmm. And they still smelled like him. And she could put her hands in his mittens and have that sense of touch. And that's what I strive for. That's the memory part of the quilt for me. And the kids want their high school shirts because that's an important part of their growing up. That's their journey to adulthood. That's their friends. That's their colleagues, their coworkers or whatever. It's always something special to me. It's not just, oh, God, another T-shirt quilt. It's show me what shirt's the most special. Show me how you want this to look when I get done with it. And sometimes I'll just drop them off and say, make them look however you want. This is the shirt I want in the middle. This is the one that has the most importance to it. The rest of it, just filler. I got to have this one. And I'll do whatever I can to make it special. It's wonderful to see them hand their memories over to me and go, I want something back that's really special. I so far have seemed to do it. Nobody's thrown it back in my face and said, oh, yuck. So, <laughs> you know, they're pretty happy with what they've got. So I keep doing it until they tell me, nah, we don't like the way you do things. One quilt I'm doing now, this lady's, I think she said she's 78. Her daughter had started it when she was in her 40s, and her daughter passed away from cancer. And she brought me a Dresden plate, partially done. She goes, can you finish this? And I said, oh, absolutely. I said, I do that all the time. And she brought me two others. I said, well, which one do you want done first? And she said, this one was my daughter's. I'd like to have it back first. And I said, okay. I said, we'll work on it first. She was kind of stroking the fabric. I said, what's your daughter's name? And she told me, and she said, she's been gone now for about five years. She got too sick to finish it. And she says, it would just really be great if you could finish this for her. So there's always jobs out there to do for quilters, but it's the special ones that tug at your heartstrings and keep you going. Yeah. I can tell you really put your heart into it, and that's great. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? I do a lot of crocheting when I am forced to sit with my legs up. I had knee surgery here a few years ago. My grandmother also taught me to crochet. My mom taught me some. My mother-in-law was a big influence on my quilting, too. She showed me how to crochet doilies and things like that. So when I have to put my feet up and I can't set up my sewing machine, I get my crocheting out. And I work on afghans or doilies or whatever I feel like doing at the time just to keep my hands busy. I don't like to sit. They say idle hands are the devil's workshop. Boy, they mean it with me because I can get into trouble really quick without having my hands and my mind occupied. So I work on crocheting. I've got a friend that I helped quilt that's into crocheting now. Her back's too bad to sit at a sewing machine. So she crochets and she gives gifts to one of the area schools. There's like 400 teachers. Each one of them gets a gift at Christmas. 
she does all that and she doesn't have a computer anymore. So I help her buy yarn. And when we buy yarn, we buy anywhere from 100 to 400 skeins of yarn and she'll work them up in nothing flat. So she keeps me centered on my crocheting. She'll say, here, you need to try this yarn. It's gorgeous. You need to try this yarn. It's fluffy. She keeps me in yarn and I keep her in quilt. So it's a win-win situation for both of us. That's great. Great to have those friends to help us along. Oh, yes. Any other hobbies? No, not really. Between quilting, crocheting, and my family, they keep me hopping. Sleeping is an option. I've learned to try to go back to sleep every once in a while. It doesn't always work, but, you know, that's the basis of my hobbies. Oh, I take it back. I got a new embroidery machine. Oh, I have a friend in Illinois who made an embroidered Victorian quilt with the embroidered fans, umbrellas, hankies, the dainty Victorian shoes, and it is fantastic. I want to try and make not necessarily a Victorian, but an embroidered quilt for me out of patriotic stuff. So I've been hoarding my patterns. And one of these days when I have time, I'm going to sit down and make them because some of those embroidery patterns can take two to 10 hours to make on an embroidery machine because you change colors and do all that neat fun stuff. Right now, I don't have the time to do it, but I'm learning to set it up, let it start running next to my sewing machine. So I may have two machines going and then my grandkids come down and say, golly, grandma's not going to play at all today. She's got two machines running now. So, <laughs> And then the long arm's running sometimes. So, you know, it kind of sounds like a workshop in here. So they just kind of look at me and I said, five minutes. I got Ladybug kitchen timer. They'll go set the timer. You said five minutes, ma'am. Well, we expect you to keep your word. And I do. But yeah. That's about the extent of my hobbies. Usually it's my grandkids. Yeah. Was there a certain person that introduced you to quilting or did you pick it up another way? Or You mentioned your grandmother. My grandmother and my mother-in-law, both. Most people don't like their mother-in-laws. I loved mine. She was my mother substitute. She really was. She didn't have any girls in the family and I just fit right in with her. She lived out on the farm. Same thing. You just didn't buy fabric to cut it up. First time she ever did it, she just about cringed. But she helped me learn a lot as far as patterns and the new way of doing it. Because my grandmother, when they made patterns, they cut them out of the newspaper like the Kansas City Star. And for my 18th birthday, my grandmother gave me a photo book, remember, with the little black corners in them with an envelope with the pattern pieces cut out of a piece of cardboard, like out of a box of soap or something like that, that was a large flat piece that she could cut pieces out. And that's what she did was she cut them out from the newspaper, put them on cardboard, and then put it in there and marked each envelope with the pattern name and how many pieces were in it. I've used it several times, but it's getting frayed. It's getting old. And it's in the bottom of my hope chest right now, which is not where it should be. My grandmother would beat me with it if she knew. And the same thing with my mother-in-law. Her patterns I got when she passed away. And the plastic templates that you use to draw your quilting patterns on by hand, I got all of those. And they're on a huge D-ring, all sizes, shapes, fans, rope braids, teepees, you name it. She had it. She always did hers by hand. She never had a place big enough to machine quilt. 
So she always had a one before frame on two before sawhorses and with denim punched down on it to hold the fabric and great big roofing nails that had double heads on them and diaper safety pins to hold the sides. I've still got her frames up in the attic along with my grandmother's. I'd love to get them down and use them, but it's not feasible. Times have changed and you have to move on past buggy whips and stuff like that, but I'll keep them till the day I die and my kids look at them and go, what are these? So I've got pictures to show them that, you know, these were your grandmothers. I know they're not going to be as sentimental about them as I am, but each generation to their own, they'll have to adapt as they go. I do have two girls that like to quilt and my daughter-in-law, I only have one. She's a sweetheart. She quilted for a while and then the kids got busy and there just wasn't time to sit down and do it. But one daughter does baby quilts and she's teaching a friend of hers at work how to quilt. She goes, now, I'm going to tell you right now, my mother's going to tell you to rip that block out and do it over. And she says, but I don't want to. And she says, if you want it to look right, my daughter's telling her this. She says, mama's going to tell you to rip it out and make it look right. And she just hung her head. She said, I have to rip it out. My daughter, Gina, says, yes, you have to rip it out because my mother will send this back to you and tell you. She's not quilting it because it ain't right. And when I got it to quilt, it had a lot of boo-boos in it, but it wasn't something that I couldn't quilt. This lady had made it for her mom's, I think it was her 50th birthday. From what I understand, her mother just cried. You know, there was a lot of time and energy into that quilt. And for my daughter to pass on my words, I can almost hear my words coming out of her mouth going, you do that over and you do it right. I always tried to preface it with something like, I know it looks like it's okay right now, but I think we can make it look better by doing X, Y, and Z. They're like, but A, B, and C worked. And I said, yeah, but you got to get to the end where X, Y, and Z makes it look nice. You don't want to do something that's not necessarily looks nice, do you? Well, no, we want it to look nice, then X, Y, Z it. And it's like, okay, growl all you want to, but you're going to do it over. (laughs) It's like have a rabbit dog going, no, I'm not doing that, you know, but they understand, you know, you can start out with one thing and end up with something totally different, but you got to get to the X, Y, and Z of it. It's got to get ready for the quilter. I had one lady bring me a quilt top and I looked at it. I said, okay, sweetie, we're going to get you an education here really quick. She ended the quilt with a lot of blocks. I said, when I stretch these, that's going to pull the stitching back three or four stitches and you're going to have a wavy quilt. I said, I would suggest putting a border on it just to make it look better and last longer. Well, I don't want to mess with it. I handed it back to her and I said, well, if you don't want to mess with it, I don't have time to. So she took it home, fixed it that afternoon and brought it back the next day. And she goes, does that look better? And I said, I think you'll be a lot happier with it begrudgingly, she says, I understand what you said. And she says, I just didn't want to have to redo it. She goes, you sounded just like my mother. And I said, yes, thank you, Lord. You know, and she just kind of laughed. She goes, yeah, I know, mom. And it was a funny experience because she knew it wasn't right, but she thought she could get away with it. Mm, No, Mama Quilter says you've got to do it right. So you got to do it right. I'm wondering if I see a nickname in your future. (laughs) I'm sure it's going to be something. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to say it on the air or not. But uh, (laughs) uh, Quilter up there, she wants you to do it just perfect. Oh, well, good. Thank you for spreading the word. (laughs) It's been a journey, but it's been a fun one. Yeah. 
Do you have a favorite quilt? I have two favorite quilts. The first quilt I made for my mother and the double wedding ring that my grandmother made that I got that I can actually see pieces of her clothing in it. Those are my favorite two. The one I made for my mother with so much love and such terrible stitches. Their stitch is a half inch long in there. But you know what? It's what I knew at the time. It's like a toddler learning to write his name. You know, that was what I learned. That's what I started with. Now my stitches are a lot smaller and a lot more even. And my grandmother's quilt, I can see her at the kitchen sink with her apron on over her fancy dress that she made for Sunday. And it just brings back a lot of good memories on both women. So I had strong women in my life, which I really appreciated. Yeah. Is there one tool that you can pick out that you are so happy you have now? Yes, I just learned this at my last retreat. It's called a block lock ruler, and it's for half square triangles. And it has a little indention in the ruler itself, and you fit the block up into it, and it stops it from going too far. So you get an accurate trim on two sides. You flip it around, and you get an accurate cut on the other two sides. No more wobbly, half-skewed triangles. They're all perfect. I looked at that. This lady was using it, and I just dropped my jaw on the floor and went, huh? And she goes, you haven't heard of these? And she had this huge smile on her face. I said, uh, no. So she showed them to me because the quilt I was working on at the time was nothing but half square triangles. And it's like, oh, holy cow. So I said, can I borrow this? And she goes, well, for a few minutes, but I need to finish trimming mine. So I sat there for about 15 minutes. Man, I was just cutting away. I got home, got on Amazon and ordered it that night. I mean, it just made a world of difference. And they also have one for flying geese. And it just makes the flying geese come out absolutely perfect. There's no upside, downside, skewed in, skewed out. It's just perfect flying geese. And it comes in like three or four different sizes. So again, I get on Amazon. I order those. I thought, oh, there goes my money for my next few quilts on Amazon. <laughs> but I always price shop everything. I'm the world's best to find a bargain. I might spend an hour online, but I'll get the best price. And I do fabric shopping the same way. I don't buy very often from Joann's or Walmart or any places like that. I can go online and get deals cheaper than that at some of the online fabric stores. Our nearest fabric stores over half an hour away or an hour. And with the price of gas nowadays, you know, I don't get out as much. Our gas has gone up 60 cents in the last eight days. So shopping isn't going to be done except online. And again, it's the changing of the times. You got to do what you can afford to do. But yeah, those block lock rulers changed my whole attitude toward half square triangles because I trimmed them and one side shorter than the other. Well, that one goes in the scrap basket. So you try to even up the other side. Now it's a half inch shorter on one side than it is on the other. It goes in the scrap basket. But yeah, those made a mountain of difference. I will never be without another one. How neat. Now, while you're quilting, there's so many steps. Is there a particular step you like more than others, or do you like each step of the process? I like each step of the process, but I like the binding the best because then it's done. <laughs> and I can look at it and go, oh, wow. But I'll spread the pieces out once I get them cut, start putting them together out on the floor and look at them. 
And my husband will look at me because his recliner's sitting not too far away. He'll say, hmm, row three, block two's upside down. Oh, darn it, you know. So he's learning by osmosis, you know, what I'm doing. And he'll sit there and say, that color doesn't match that one because I'll try borders and stuff like that. And he goes, ooh. And he'll say, well, that orange doesn't really belong in those reds and purples. I said, yes, it does. And he goes, uh, no, it doesn't. Oh, crap. Okay. So I'll try a different border, you know. So I'll lay things out, look at them, and rearrange them. It's kind of like a big old puzzle. I wasn't very good with puzzles growing up, but I'm learning to get better at it. But I'll do the same with T-shirts. I'll spread them out and look at them and go, this and that one, change it. And I have learned the hard way to take a picture of the one I like the best. Mm-hmm. Because I will variably move something and go, that's not where it was. And then I can't get back to where I was to begin with. So another of my favorite tools is my handy dandy phone and my handy dandy camera. You don't have to print them off. You can just look at them and go, oh, yeah, that's where that went. So that's a big help right there. I must say I like every bit of the process, especially picking out the fabrics and finishing it up. Those are my favorite for the start and the end. <laughs> the pieces in the middle is just necessary work, but it's fun work, too, because you like seeing the result as it comes together. Kind of like making a sandcastle. You like it when it's done, too. Yep, that's the way it's done. Yeah. Tell me about your worst quilting experience. Oh, my worst one. Oh, bless her heart. I had a lady bring me a quilt that did not get all the seams sewn shut. And on the computerized sewing, it doesn't know that there's a hole coming up. And if you're not standing right there when it does, that little hopping foot gets caught under there. And it will make this really weird noise. It goes, thunka, 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 womp, 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 womp. And it'll bounce halfway off the table. I'm standing up two foot from it. And it's like hit the emergency stop button. And there's this gaping hole where that foot had caught under it and had sewn itself into the quilt. It's like, <gasps> oh, no. And I had to cut the fabric to get the hopping foot out take it down. And I mean, we're talking a four inch hole in the top of this quilt and an inch hole in the bottom. And I'm in tears. I called the lady and I said, this is what happened. The seam wasn't sewn shut and my hopping foot caught under it and it tore the quilt top. She goes, oh, okay. I went, no, you don't understand. There's a four inch hole on the top of your quilt. She goes, oh, okay. She says, well, there's probably some other seams that didn't get sewn shut, too. And I went, huh? And she's like, well, I was in a rush to get done, and I think I got them all. I said, well, what do you want me to do? And she says, oh, just put a piece of fabric over it and stitch around it. She says, it's okay. I was in panic mode. I'm going to have to give this quilt to her for free. She actually gave me a tip for finishing it because when I had to patch the holes, I started going down each seam line by hand with my fingers and making sure they were all shut. There was four more seams that had not shut when she sewed them. So I had to go back through and whip stitch those by hand. And it was the ugliest quilt when I got done with it. Oh, it had all kinds of issues. The borders were wavy and it had pleats in it. And she didn't have it quite square. It kind of skewed off to one side. So it looked like a polyhedron or some other kind of funny looking quilt. And she was thrilled to death with it. It's like, okay, if you're thrilled, I'm happy. And she says, well, she says, I apologize. I guess I have to start checking better to make sure all the seams are sewn shut. And I said, well, that would 
save my heart rate a lot if you would do that. And she still brings me quilts. She makes sure they're all sewn together, but she still brings me quilts. But, oh, that just broke my heart to see that machine over there going, go, 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 just bouncing up and down on its little heart's content going, oh, it's just killing that quilt. But it survived and so did the machine. My heart didn't. I thought I was going to have to go to the heart doctor and go, oh, get jump started back. It's not so bad when it's your quilt because then it's your own fault. But you kind of go, oh, my stars and garters. But yeah, that was the most horrific quilt thing I've ever been through. I mean, I've cut through fabric and cut through quilts and never had that heart-stopping, gut-wrenching, oh, my stars type of deal before. Hope I never have to again. So anyway. (laughs) Why do you think you spend your time making quilts rather than spending it doing something else? Quilts, to me, are pieces of love. I can put fabric together and give it to somebody or make it for somebody like this lady whose daughter passed away. It's a satisfaction of a job well done that someone else can appreciate. It's kind of hard to understand. It's the love of the quilt. I've always had a quilt. I've never not had one. And I talked to these people I said, have you got a quilt on your bed? What's a quilt? Oh, heart attack. I'm coming, Louise. You know, you grab your heart like Fred Sanford and go, I'm coming, Louise, you know. And I belong to a quilt guild, and we always have a quilt show, Memorial Day weekend. The most beautiful quilts, and some of them the kids make and display them so proudly because that's something they got to do. It's better than them sitting on a video game. It's better than them on the phone all day with their buds. It's turn your phones off. Let's sit down at the show machine. Let's go look at fabric. And Taylor, my youngest daughter's oldest girl, had some of the wildest tastes in fabric. She was so thrilled. It was so bright and beautiful. Fabrics I never would have chosen together. She was just absolutely thrilled with. And when we made her quilt, she was just I did this. She took it to school for show and tell one time when she was about second grade or something. And I got to do this. And all of her friends were just envious. My grandma sits around, smokes and reads, you know, or my grandma gambles or my grandma, you know, eats all the time or whatever. They don't do anything fun like this. Gosh, I wish I could come to your grandma's house. She sounds like fun. And Taylor just looks at her and she says, she makes you rip it out too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, here we go again with the ripper. But it's a necessary evil. You want it to look good. Taylor had her own pieces of ripping out. But I get overwhelmed sometimes with the choices now of patterns and fabrics and specialty rulers. And I've got more fabric than our local quilt shop does, kid you not. My husband looked at me the other day and looked at my long arm because I recently upgraded. And he says, what am I going to do with all this stuff when you die? I said, well, first of all, I'm not dying for a few more years. Second of all, don't sell it out from underneath me. And I don't care what you do with it when I'm gone. And he says, well, I've already asked the kids. None of them want it. And I said, well, then you'll have a nice sale and get 60 cents on the 100 yards, just like everybody else does. And he says, seriously? And I said, haven't we been to a few auctions where boxes of fabric sold for like 50 cents? And he says, yeah, come to think about it. And I said, well, before I die, I'll tell you how to sell it and what to do to get rid of everything. And I'll sell my long arm before it gets to that. And he says, oh, good, because 
when I upgraded, a friend of mine in Illinois had a HQ Fusion, and she was going to upgrade to the HQ Forte, which is a 24-inch throat machine. She got it at a ridiculous price. And I just, well, what do you mean you got one? I want one too. And she says, well, let me ask the salesman. He's still here. And he said, yeah, I've got one. So I said, well, if I can sell my other one, I want one. I put a price that I knew was fair on it, had it sold within three hours, put it on Marketplace, and it was gone. So I called my friend up, B, and I said, B, I sold mine. She says, well, I was only going to sell mine for like eight. And I said, well, I sold mine for 12.5. I said, if you put any less on that, it's a better machine with less stitches on I will kick your butt. I said, you can always come down. So she put 12.5 on hers, had it sold within an hour. And we both have brand new Fortes. And we both have a learning curve. So she was trying to catch up with me and I was trying to keep up with her. But I tried here a few years ago before COVID hit to do a Zoom meeting to do tips and tricks on sewing and quilting. And I put it out on Facebook. I said, I'm going to have a Zoom meeting on this Saturday, this date. If you're interested, please let me know. Send me your email. I figured I might have 40 to 50. I had 384 people sign up before I put it off at the end of four hours. I could not believe it. And I got them all set up and ready to go. I crashed Zoom. I crashed my email. I crashed my computer. I still have people emailing me. Are you going to have the Zoom meeting? I said, well, I've got to figure out how to do it with all these people chiming in. And I don't want to pay for a professional Zoom because that's expensive. But they send me something. I've got a little tips and tricks thing, what to look for in fabric, you know, where you can buy things cheaper at. Because not everybody needs to go to the fabric shop and buy needles. Not that I don't love fabric shops, but I can't run an hour to the nearest fabric store and buy a yard of fabric. So you've learned when you're dealing with all this stuff, especially in the volume that I do, where to find the best, the cheapest. So that was one of the things I had put out. And that's where I met B, my friend in Illinois, was from the Zoom class because she called me back and she says, I got kicked off. I said, so did everybody else. So we got to chatting. And she's up in the middle of the night like I am. So it's nothing for us to be talking at two o'clock in the morning and working on quilts together. So I made a lifelong friend from a Zoom meeting that crashed everything in three counties. (laughs) But you try to pass your knowledge on. I don't believe in people hoarding knowledge. That to me is the dumbest thing because if something happens to you, that knowledge dies. It's like canning is coming back in style because food's gotten so high. So people want to learn how to can again. Well, I still have my pressure cookers and my water bath canner, and I can teach them how, except it's too expensive to learn how. So it's a dying art, and I'm so glad to see younger people, and I'm saying in their 30s and 40s, coming back to quilting because that's most of the age group that I've got in my retreats are those ages and the retirees. And it's just wonderful to see the young and the old get together and compare things and go, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that's how a seam ripper worked or I didn't know your machine could do that. It's just fascinating to me to watch the ages get together and do things together. And that art keeps going on. I don't want it to stop. I want the momentum to keep going. I want to talk to you about the retreats here in a little bit, but let me ask, 
Who do you usually make your quilts for? You mentioned the quilts of valor and your grandkids. Is that who you usually make them for? Most of the time, it's quilts for hire. It's a lot of t-shirt quilts, like I said. I get a lot of questions and repairs on older quilts. One lady had me take an old quilt apart, put interfacing on the back of it, and new batting and new backing on it. And I was able to save one of her grandmother's quilts. The fabric was getting a little unstable and was wearing. And I said, by putting interfacing on it, I can stop that from happening. And she told another friend of hers who told another friend of hers. And I've gotten several antique repair quilts to do. Most of mine is quilts for hire. It really is. I put the word out and I've got people from the quilt guild. Oh, so-and-so did my quilt. They'll pass the information along and I put it out on Facebook. You know, I'm opening back up for t-shirt quilts. If you want it, you better get it now because I'll tell them the 1st of July, I'm closing it the 1st of October because they don't understand how long it takes to do a t-shirt quilt. So I try to tell them I'm looking at Christmas and it's the 1st of June, but most people want their quilts by the middle of first week of December or no later than the middle because they got family gatherings they want to go to. So that cuts off the month of December. Well, then you've got Thanksgiving. And then I've got my quilt retreat in the middle of all this. I said, you want it for Christmas? I've got to have it like now. They're really good about trying to get it to me. It's those late Nellies that come in at the last minute and say, oh, I need two t-shirt quilts done. And it's the first of October. You're not going to get them done unless some miracle happens. And they get a little upset with me, but it's like, oh, I just found out about it. I said, I understand, but. I can take some pictures of the t-shirts and you can give an IOU, but most of mine is for hire. I put the word out and I get inundated with quilts. Right now I'm six t-shirt quilts, three repairs and finish, and two more make from scratch. And I make custom quilts too, so that's always fun. I like when they say, I want this quilt with these colors and you make it and I'll pay you for it. It's like, yes, ma'am. I like those. Those are fun. Yeah. Please share a quilting tip. Never be afraid to rip it out. If it doesn't look right when you're working on it, it's not going to look right in your quilt. Someone else may not notice it, but every time you look at that quilt, you will notice it. Rip it out. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I hate to say it, but rip it out. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to hear that. I know you don't want to hear it. That's why I said it twice. I think I would have been shocked if you gave a different tip, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Connie, I was just looking at the time. I want to go into these questions about your business, but I don't want to shortchange you. And would it be all right with you if we set up another time to do a second interview to talk about your business? Oh, absolutely. I'd love it. Okay, great. Connie, thanks so much for being on A Quilter's Life. I've had so much fun spending this time with you. Well, thank you for having me. I've sure enjoyed the questions and getting to talk about quilting and meeting you. This has been a treasure I'm going to enjoy for a long time. Thank you, Paula. Uh Bye, hon. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com 
or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.